Galaxy Lights, Coachella, Lightning Bolt Necklaces. 2023 was the year of Scandaval. On March 3rd, one cheating scandal launched a reality TV investigation that generated hundreds of conspiracy theories, thousands of podcast episodes, and millions of dollars in revenue. I'm Jody Walker, host of An American Scandaval. One retrospective story told in three salacious parts. Listen December 26th on the Ringer Reality Feed. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Tara Palmieri. I'm Punk's senior political correspondent, and this is Somebody's Gotta Win. On this episode, I get to swap reporters' notebooks with Bob Costa. No, not the 70-year-old sports commentator for all you Ringer fans, but Bob Costa, the one who now trumps the legendary sportscaster on Google. Yes, if you Google Bob Costa, the 38-year-old national political reporter comes up first. He is already a legend. He's co-authored a book with the other big Bob, Woodward, that is, Peril. It was a number one New York Times bestseller, and he's one of the best source journalists in D.C., so I'm very grateful to have him on. He's CBS's chief election correspondent, and he frequently fills in on the anchor desk. Bob, thanks for being here. Let's get down to the state of the race. Trump in Iowa is averaging at about 47%. It's the first caucus primary state. DeSantis is at 19 Haley's at 16, give or take, Ramaswamy seven. I mean, is this over? Apparently, this is the largest lead in Iowa caucus history. What do you think? I mean, look, nothing's over till it's over. But I, what the most intriguing thing to me in my reporting in recent days is people are already starting to think if it stays like this through the holidays and it's early January, mid-January, nothing's changed, then when do people start to get out? Because if mm. DeSantis doesn't come in a strong second in Iowa, it's going to be hard to see how he goes into New Hampshire with any strength or South Carolina. Uh, and so this is it for DeSantis in Iowa. And Kim Reynolds, her endorsement, the governor there has been solid. It's helped him. But Trump's campaign is countering it all the time by playing clips of Kim Reynolds praising Trump. Ramaswamy mm. a little complicated for Trump. 
because he's eating into the coalition, but not so much in a way they're scared. What is Ramaswamy polling at? About like 5%, I think I, I have in Iowa. It doesn't really make that big of a difference for Trump. Uh, but what about Nikki Haley? I mean, she's a few points behind DeSantis. She's a big problem for DeSantis in Iowa. You see her getting traction not only in New Hampshire, but in Iowa as well. And if she keeps gaining, mm-hmm. even if she doesn't win Iowa, if she just takes away from DeSantis, she could effectively end DeSantis's campaign. Uh, the challenge for her is Christie in New Hampshire. If Christie's in this race, right, exactly hanging in, how does she? How does she really win New Hampshire, or even come in a, a second that's really strong? If Christie's getting that same kind of voter coming to him for five to 10 to 15, 20%. Right, exactly. And there's a lot of pressure right now on Chris Christie, who's polling at 13% in New Hampshire. And a big part of the reason is that he's really done exactly what, you know, Ron DeSantis did in Iowa. He's all or nothing in New Hampshire. He did this in his last presidential campaign in 2012. And DeSantis is essentially doing that now in Iowa. Uh, He's just all or nothing Iowa, 99 counties, door knocking. And you're right. It's, everyone's talking about consolidation right now, right? And it doesn't really shake out the way you think it does. Like if DeSantis for some reason drops out before New Hampshire, right? A lot of his voters would probably go to Trump, don't you think? They wouldn't necessarily go to Nikki Haley, assuming that she came in second in Iowa or somehow won Iowa. And I mean, Christie's voters, I assume, would go to Haley, right? But like if Ramaswamy drops out, most of his voters are going to go to Trump. And it, it seems like it's more beneficial for DeSantis to get rid of Haley than it is for Haley to get rid of DeSantis because if DeSantis drops out, then his voters will most likely go to Trump rather than her. <laughs> I feel like we're, we're all playing a chess game that doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Fair I enough. Think there's all this talk of, oh, if DeSantis gets out after Iowa and doesn't play in New Hampshire, how does that help Haley in New Hampshire? And does that give her a bounce into South Carolina? And it's like, these, these, this is all interesting. Where do Vivek Ramaswamy voters go? Where do DeSantis voters go? But let's be real. I mean, I've been covering this campaign since the start. It hasn't right. consolidated. It's not going to consolidate until the contests begin. I mean, maybe there's a, a few bumps up for some of these candidates. If Tim Scott comes in late in Iowa and endorses one of these candidates, if Mike Pence endorses one of these candidates. But at the end of the day- but really, would a Mike Pence endorsement do anything? I feel like no, that, would, not saying that it would, would hurt you. And Tim Scott, like, the guy was polling at 2%. Right. Trump's the, Trump is the giant- Trump is the nominee. <laughs> right. I, I, unless you take on Trump directly and have a coherent way of beating him, you're not in this race long-term. So, And none of them will take on Trump directly because they're afraid of alienating his voters, essentially. Christie has, of course, but that and that may get him some traction in New Hampshire to a point, but mm. it's so late in the game. It's, it's like in baseball, if you've depleted the bullpen, it's like there's nothing else to do. I mean, th- no one's really taken on, on Trump directly. There's no other option here except kind of just running through the tape for these candidates. And they're going to run through the tape as much as they can. But I'm fascinated and kind of astounded sometimes as a reporter at how static this race has been. That right. it just hasn't had like a moment. Like there was that first debate, people said, oh, Vivek was kind of a big personality. Maybe he breaks through. Didn't break through. DeSantis had a launch and then it was kind of shaky and it never really had that moment like he had before the campaign with the book tour where it felt like DeSantis was having a bit of a lift nationally. Christie has been on all over the media, but he hasn't seen that media saturation give him a, a big jump in the polls. And Haley is certainly the favorite of many non-Trump people on Wall Street. 
And that could give her some money to last until Super Tuesday and maybe try to be that Trump alternative. But by then, Trump's still the front runner, running well ahead of the contenders. And the Republican Party has transformed. You go around the country as a reporter, every state party, it seems, has Trump people in the infrastructure or as the chair. Right. They did, they've worked really hard on doing that. They have, and they've really certainly set up the delegate process to be all or nothing. So that's their, that's advantageous to them as well. Um, I agree with you. I mean, it hasn't been static. If anything, DeSantis's dive is the one thing that isn't static. And maybe there's been a little bump for Nikki Haley, but it's certainly not enough. She's just nipping at DeSantis's um, coattails. But I think you're right. I think that it hasn't moved. It's most likely going to be Trump as the nominee. But every time I say that, people are always think, saying, you know, you, ne- you never know. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. I mean, well, the courts is what I'm really paying attention to. The Supreme Court's going to be hearing these January 6 cases. January 6th defendants who have been prosecuted for obstructing mm. an official proceeding. If the Supreme Court, you know, rules a certain way on those January 6th cases, it could directly affect Trump's own January 6th case. So we're we're entering this mode, this moment, this season in the campaign where Trump's so ahead, it's been static. The candidates are all struggling for political oxygen. Yet at the same time, Trump has this enormous variable over his campaign which is does the trial for January 6th with Jack Smith, the special counsel, begin in March as planned? Is it postponed? And what does the Supreme Court do, either favorably or unfavorably for Trump, in terms of laying out a legal foundation for Trump to either escape conviction and possible jail time or ultimately be convicted and put in jail? Okay, but this is all going to happen in March. That's the problem. If then, by then, all. Yeah. yeah. And by then, we've already, like, Super Tuesday is over. It's like he's already the nominee. So you're talking about electability at that point. And are the Iowa, New Hampshire, early primary state, South Carolina voters, do they really care about electability? And it seems like they don't. I mean, they know that he has 91 indictments. And I think that they must buy his, you know, take that he's being persecuted, that he's, you know, this is the Biden Justice Department coming after them. They they must, or they think that he will get away with it. I mean, could he possibly like, run for president with an ankle bracelet on him. I don't think they're going to put a guy his age in jail because, I don't know, you usually don't do well in jail in your 70s, late 70s. I think they try to do house arrest. There's no age limit on jail. I don't know. I, I would think that they would put him in. You know, people forget you can serve as president in prison. Fair enough. There's nothing constitutionally that keeps someone from pr- in prison from being but president. But imagine if he died in prison. He's 77 well, years I old. Let's just, I don't want to keep speculating on all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, whether it's a candidate's life expectancy or candidate's legal future, it's not worth speculating. No, no, no. I actually think it is because here's the question. Okay. If he is running from prison for some reason where he's got some sort of house monitoring ankle bracelet, you know, like if he has to drop out, what happens next? Is it like a brokered convention sort of thing or? Well, let's drop out. Trump dropping out? never drop out. You're right. Why did I even, why would I even posit that idea? No, you're right. The question is, does a party try to come up with another option that tries to force him out at the convention? But Trump has never, he wouldn't give up on the presidency. How is he going to give up on the nomination? No, you're totally right. And how could the party do that? Like, have you heard anything kind of like floating around speculation about how they would be able to, to get rid of him? Well, there's a million things going on behind the scenes in terms of people talking. The question is, to me, does any of it really matter? Because if you're going to do something to really try to take the nomination away from Trump, let's say he's convicted of federal yeah. crime January 6th, you have to have someone who's really willing, who can unite the party in a way that's 
not like uh, an anti-Trumper coming in and trying to make a late case that the party should move in a totally different direction. And it's going to be tough because Trump's going to be likely in an appeal process. It also probably can't be someone that lost the nomination process because there would be an argument that like they couldn't win in the early primary states. They don't reflect the voters, right? I've reported for months on Glenn Youngkin because I know some people in the Wall Street community who were approaching Glenn Youngkin, the Virginia governor, and Mm -hmm. saying he should think about running or being ready to run should Trump collapse. And Youngkin Mm -hmm. has decided not to run at the moment, and he's not running, but he's the kind of person who's being talked about should the Trump campaign collapse for legal reasons, who's ready to go. But Youngkin wasn't helped by the Virginia elections in 2023. But how many people really care about that? That's the only thing I, I think about. Who care? Like, does anyone really care about how this It didn't put wind election... into his sales politically, but it didn't, it didn't ruin his career, but it didn't help him at the moment. Did Trump have anything to show in terms of political wins when he ran for president in 2016? Well, Trump no. was just such an outsider. I mean, right. Trump was what the base wanted. I just, the problem for someone like Youngkin coming in, if they ever try to come in and have a contested convention, which is all, of course, political fantasy, but People are talking about it, at least if Trump's convicted, are they going to try to make a run at the, the nomination mm-hmm. at the convention? You have to get delegates to get in line, and it can't be seen as the establishment, quote, stealing the election from Trump. Which he will say. And even if he doesn't win the nomination, he'll try to tank anyone who does. Like, he'll, he'll say, write in, fraudulent nomination process, it'll be just like the election 2020, don't you think? Right. He's not going to, I don't see him he's giving not a speech for Nikki Haley if she wins the nomination. No way. He's going to destroy the party. He's going to take it down with him. The party is him right now in so many ways. <sighs> I know. Like the party, think of, like, when you look at the Republican National Committee, who organized the debates? Dave Bossie, his former deputy campaign manager. Mm. Who is the party chair? Ronna Romney McDaniel, who, even though she has Romney in her name, she's a Trump supporter to the core. The, the delegates across the country, many of them are Trumpers. The RNC, Trump supporters, so many elected officials just keep coming out with their endorsements for Trump. He's running like an incumbent president within the GOP. Well, I actually wrote about this last week about how um, the National Republican Senatorial Committee Chairman Steve Daines is putting pressure on members, uh, senators to endorse now ahead of Iowa. And like, it's also happening on the House side. It's even happening in like the operative class, the fundraisers. They're feeling like they have to do it now or they're not going to get credit in Trump world. And everyone's sort of assuming that he's the nominee and he may win the election. And I don't know, even in Washington, you're starting to feel it, right? Like there's just an inevitability about it. There is. And, and that's partly why President Biden's been able to kind of consolidate his support and quiet uh, the unease about his own candidacy because all he has to do is point to Trump's strength and go, look, I'm the guy to take him on. I beat him before. Although not so clear that he will this time because he was way ahead in the polls in the last election at this point against Trump. And obviously we know from all of the recent polling that he is trailing behind and Trump is like historically hard to poll as well. Because Trump Trump brings out non-voters like he did in 2016. Though I think the Democrats look at what happened in Virginia in 2023 and they say to themselves, Trump was famous for bringing out non-voters in 2016, people who didn't participate in the political process. But in 2022, and now again in Virginia in 2023 and other places, Democrats believe they're bringing out so-called non-voters. Women, men who support abortion rights are coming out of the woodwork 
if they don't participate in politics to back the Democrats. And Democrats feel like if they can just keep hammering Trump, democracy issues, stability of the country, plus abortion rights, it was a winner for them in 2022. It could be a winner in 2024, even if Trump has his message on the economy. And there, there's a sense that it, like the stock market just hit a, a record high, unemployment at right. a near 50-year low. If they can articulate those points in a way that's compelling for voters who are feeling still economic pain from inflation, that Biden can ultimately right his ship. But it, it, that's a lot of what ifs, and there's many months ahead. And also Biden wasn't on the ticket um, in both of those races. And that those were probably really activist-driven. There were propositions on a lot of these ballots, which they haven't been able to do in various race, in various states that they need to. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I think they're banking too much on the um, abortion, Trump, anti-Trump democracy. And I think there's going to be a bit of a protest vote to Biden as well with these third-party tickets. Um, yeah, what do you make of the third parties? What, do you think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. could even, in Cornell West, could they get one to two percent in some of these states, three percent. And what about no labels? I mean, I to me, you've been reporting on some of this for a while. Like, how do you see that being kind of a curveball? I think it's just really hard to tell. Even if they just get one to two percent in some of these states, it's enough to throw the election, like Jill Stein or um, others have in the past. I mean, isn't Jill Stein running as well? I think there are a lot of probably disaffected young people, Arab Americans who are very angry. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is polling really well. His name ID is super high, uh, but it's unclear if he can even get on the independent uh, ballot because it does cost a lot of money, although he's raising a ton of money. Uh, He's sort of fringe. He may take away from Trump in the same way, though, that Cornell West takes away from Biden. Although I saw a report recently that No Labels is backing down. And Mm -hmm. at first... You know, they wanted a unity ticket, Democrat, Republican, then it was Republican, Democrat, you know, talks about Joe Manchin or I don't know, John Huntsman. But it seems like they're starting to ease up on that a bit because they've always said that they wouldn't throw the election towards Trump. But it looks like that kind of ticket would. They're under intense pressure to step off the gas. I was at a breakfast a few weeks ago with Nancy Pelosi, the former House Speaker, and she was just tearing into no labels. She used a lot of tough language. She said they're basically full of it. They're corporate Mm. and they're a threat to the country if they push Biden off the stage just because they want to get five or 10 percent as an independent ticket. And she said they're dangerous group. But I think that they've been feeling that heat. Totally. I mean, they're basically backed by kind of Wall Street, private equity types that like split government. They kind of like it when, you know, there's a Democrat in the White House or Republican in the White House. They like they don't want movement. You know what I mean? They use unity as a way to kind of stop progress, I think, in some ways. Um, and yeah, a lot of people really hate Nancy Jacobson, what they've been doing. At the same time, they're able to raise an insane amount of money. They raised $70 million already to get on the ballot um, in all 50 states. And they said they wanted to have a convention in Dallas, but I saw some reporting saying that they're not going to go through with that. So I think the no labels thing was maybe a scare that's gone away. I don't know. I mean... I'm sure you hear this all the time when you talk to friends who don't work in our world and politics. They're still, they still say, is Biden really going to run? Like there's still just this kind of like disbelief that he's going to run. There's a, people just do not believe it. And I have to tell them, no, he's running. There's no way he's not running. And at this point, there's no way out. I mean, maybe at the convention as well. I mean, we're in like speculation land. And obviously people say, well, you know, Kamala Harris is very unpopular. Would they make her the nominee? 
And it's just like, then you're eating away at like the core of the Democratic Party, you know, young people, uh, people of color, black women to, to like try to get her off the ballot. There's just so much like people are in disbelief. I mean, that's part of the reason why we named the show Somebody's Gotta Win. Because at the time it was Trump was, you know, looked like he's sailing to be the nominee. Biden looks like he's going to be the nominee. And people just can't believe we have a rematch right now. I mean, do you think there's any situation which Biden doesn't run? I just don't understand why so much of the campaign and especially coverage of this campaign is, a, is like, what if Biden somehow drops out of the ticket and doesn't decide to run? If you read any book about Joe Biden, if you talk to any friend of Joe Biden, this yeah. is someone who has for 50 years pursued the presidency in some way or another, been climbing the ladder politically, a total survivor, knocked down, knocked down. That, he loves that part of his great. story. Yeah. yeah. In 88, you're a plagiarist, never come back. In 2008, you're going nowhere in Iowa. Then he lands on the ticket. He's in. He's VP. People discount him. They say he's just this mm. old guy who's different than Obama. He comes back. He comes back. He comes back. And then suddenly, people are saying it. Well, he'll probably slip away at some point and dip, bow out of the race. Are you kidding? Have you ever covered Joe Biden? This is not who Joe yeah. Biden is. He's not giving this up. And the idea that Nikki Haley and the establishment are somehow going to come up in the final two, three weeks of a campaign with the way to beat Trump after succumbing to him in 2016, after su basically mm. becoming part of his movement in the ensuing years, now they're going to have the secret sauce to knock him off. There's so much wishful thinking among Trump critics in the Democratic Party and in the Republican Party that there's almost unwillingness sometimes to just see the facts I see as a reporter on the ground is that Trump is on pace to be the Republican nominee unless some, right. something really wild happens. And President Biden is already effectively the Democratic nominee. Yes, yeah. And someone like Dean Phillips, who you've covered a lot, and he's tried to raise questions about Biden's candidacy, but it hasn't broken through with the Democratic elect. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And that's what I tell people. It's not happening. Barring like something wild, like a health scare or... I don't know. It's just, it's not happening. And look, things happen. If you, if you had talked to us three or four months ago and said Israel-Palestine would be the number one issue in foreign policy, people would say, what are you talking about? It's Ukraine. Totally. Right. Things will happen with world events as they always do. Could happen with the candidates, but we just can't get ahead of it. We just don't know. It's going to be a campaign. I mean, I remember at this point in 15, people were still saying Trump can really never do it. He's not, he's not going to be the guy. And of course, he ended up being the nominee and he had it effectively wrapped up pretty quickly in 16. And maybe Haley does better than expected. Maybe there is a quiet look. There are a lot of Republicans out there who don't love Trump, but kind of support Trump mm. policies. Maybe they break late for Haley. Or Christie or DeSantis. It's, it's definitely possible. And I think that scares the Trump campaign to a point, which is why Trump continues to be on the air. Trump continues to go mm. to Iowa. He's got a campaign team and Chris LaSavita and Susie Wiles who know they can't take this for granted. They've played down any drama inside the campaign. Right. Yeah. It's been amazing, actually. <laughs> it's kind of different than Corey and Hope back in 2015. Totally. They're professionalized. And they also have figured out, they have lawyers working on the ground, making sure that it's all or nothing for the delegate game as well. Like They're fully ready. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles. 
because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So I think with this never bag down pack, whatever's left of it, whatever money is left of it, it will it'll just become one of, you know, I guess like a leadership pack for Ron DeSantis afterwards, right? For whatever political activity he does afterwards. I don't think Ron DeSantis has much of a career after this. I could be wrong, but... Oh, he's young. Come on. You think so? You can't write anybody off. Look at Joe Biden. Joe Biden runs at 88. People thought his career was done. Oh, uh, yeah. So he's got to get in the Senate or something like that. Or they run, like, Kate, get Casey goes into, you know, well, the state house. I think DeSantis could spend years, the next four years, repairing his relationship with Trump voters and run again in 28. I don't put that out of the realm of possibility. What about Nikki Haley? I mean, she's kind of... She's young, I, too. I mean, she could be in the Trump administration, I guess. Both of them could be in the Trump administration. And that's Trump's way. Trump doesn't mind bringing in people like that. Brought in Ben Carson. Rest in peace. You know, brought in, brought in people who weren't exactly all like him. Yeah. Okay. That's true. How do we think, though, Trump at the top of the ticket is going to, and Biden at the top of the ticket, is going to affect the House, the Senate? Democrats take back the House right now because of redistricting, you think? Republicans, Senate? Is that... Or do you think anything can happen again because of the uncertainty of the Trump campaign and what the legal battles look like and how they may be a drag to him? I think it's going to be very interesting that um, the ha- Mike Johnson, the new House Speaker, is such he's such a puzzle. I mean, right. is he going to be able to cut a deal with President Biden on Ukraine, on Israel, on government mm-hmm. funding in January? I mean, no one really knows he keeps pushing to have this deal on the border and for Ukraine funding. And he's kind of holding the line on that, but he could get rolled by the president. He could get rolled by the Senate. It feels like he's already getting rolled, frankly. But like Washington doesn't know Mike Johnson. I've covered him for years and he's a former Republican study committee chairman and conservatives conservative, but he's going to be tested in a big way. And Hakeem Jeffries the Democratic leader is looking at all this saying, if we, if I play my cards right, maybe I'm the next yeah. Speaker of the House with such a narrow majority. If the, maybe the Republicans end up shooting themselves in the foot politically with how they handle a, a possible shutdown and how they handle Trump. Yeah, I think you're right. 
I think Republicans I've spoken to, too, are already assuming that they're going to be in the minority on the House side. Senate side, it really would be theirs to lose, but it would be such a slim majority, maybe like 51, 52 seats. And they're already thinking about how Trump is going to put pressure on them if he's president, you know, to get rid of the filibuster, which is obviously a complicated thing that I don't want to get into on this show. But it's uh, something that keeps the Senate up at night. Um, what do you think the chances are that Christie does drop out before New Hampshire? I mean, that's the thing about him that really puzzles me. Why would he? I mean, maybe, look, he's been <sighs> friendly to Haley, so I don't rule out anything with Christie. Yeah. But I've covered Christie since his first race in 09. I know you've covered him for a long time. Yeah. This, this to him is as much about a mission and playing for history and playing for the nomination at the same time. I mean, he's redefining himself as not just the guy who went with Trump, as the guy who really took on Trump in 2024. So I just I think he's doing a John McCain style campaign in New Hampshire, town hall after town hall. And mm. he's in it at least through New Hampshire, if not longer. And he could be kind of like John Kasich, who just kind of hangs around, even if he's not winning braces to, to make a point. We'll see. OK, but he effectively exists as a spoiler. I don't know. For the rest I mean, of the candidates. I've, I've interviewed Christie quite a bit this campaign, and he doesn't see himself as a spoiler. He thinks if Haley fumbles and endorses Trump, that he could hang around and start to get some of that Wall Street support and traditional Republican support and make a play for Super Tuesday. So he's just going to hang around until Super Tuesday, assuming that Haley drops out before then and he can hang on with his money? Like, does he even have enough money to stay in the game for that long? There's an expectation that if he does well in New Hampshire, money will come. Look, there's a lot that's a bank shot of a bank shot. But you, you right. see what Christie's doing day in, day out. He's thinking, if I overperform in New Hampshire... I'm in the race longer than people mm. think. And maybe if others drop, I start to be the person who's willing to stay in the race to the convention against Trump. It's a, mm. again, it's a, it's a winding road. But at this at this point, everybody has a winding road. I mean, why wouldn't Haley just stay in the race? I mean, she could probably get more money than he could. She could. I think the challenge for Haley is going to be if she doesn't do well in Iowa, New Hampshire, that great. Does she really want to go into South Carolina, her home state, and face a, a massive... And be embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. No, I know. I know. I, I understand that. But with so many variabilities around Trump and the legal cases, like I would think you would just want to hang in as long as possible, even if you're not getting delegates, just in case. I mean, that would be my thinking, but maybe I'm wrong. With Trump's trial starting, they may some of them may decide to, even if they're getting some defeats, to stay in because that trial could be over in five, six weeks. And if you're still in the mm. race and you say, look, maybe I haven't won a lot of contests, but I'm running to the convention because we don't ha need to have a convicted felon as the nominee. That's that's what makes right. it so different. It's not just it could all end by late January, early February, mm. or they could survive on fumes for a while and just see what happens yep. with Trump legal. But that's going to be tough for everybody involved. I think so, too. Yeah. And then I guess you have to win over Trump's delegates in like a secret. Good luck. Yeah, that's true. And also, whatever happens, Trump is going to try to destroy that candidate. We'll literally, he'll say it was rigged. He will start a write-in. It'll be like a third party. It'll be worse than anything Cornell West or Robert uh, RFK Jr. will do. And Trump, then Biden wins. Yep. I think if you choose anyone besides Trump to be the nominee, Biden wins. Am I right? I think so. It's like looking into the, the dark. I, I don't know. I, I, this I just, is what we do, motto, though, okay? I've told you this before. <laughs> my motto is assume nothing. Assume nothing. We just Listen, don't know. We're just Every spitballing. Day, it's wild here. I mean, we, we, we're spitballing, but we, ha we are informed in some ways, right? I mean, we're not like... It's hard to say what can happen. We can make predictions. It's okay. No one's coming after you. Okay. Biden 
Trump campaign, I think it will be a basement campaign for both of them. I don't think we're going to be out on the trail, like hopping around from place to place to place. They're older gentlemen. I think Biden will run from the White House. I think Trump will not leave Mar-a-Lago whenever, only when he has to, to go to rallies from time to time. But I don't think it's going to be like a very on the ground kind of campaign. What do you think? The only thing I'd add to that is it could be the courtroom is the campaign trail. I mean, we could be outside D.C. federal court and the, the records case in Florida being outside federal court in Florida. That's the campaign. If that's the general election, Trump versus Biden, it could be the Justice Department and Trump facing off as the campaign. Instead of going to Iowa, this campaign, I've gone to New York to sit in the courtroom with Trump. Yeah. And you're probably getting more information from there rather than hanging out with a bunch of candidates that probably won't make it. But it's it's surreal. When you're a reporter, you think you're going to be the election correspondent and you're going to be in Iowa, New Hampshire, Charleston, South Carolina, my favorite place to go on the trail. Instead, I'm sitting in lower Manhattan. It's it's like an episode of Law and Order down there. It's where they literally film Law and Order. And you're sitting there behind Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, as he whispers to his lawyers, Chris Kyes and Alina Haba, and glowers at Judge Ngoran in the New York Supreme Court courtroom. And you think to yourself, this is America 2023. I mean, this is a wild scene. This is the campaign, though, as well. Can I just say, though, that's the lamest of all the cases? Oh, no, wait, the, the porn star one is lamer. I just don't I think don't know. I mean, it's are... not lame to Trump. That's why he keeps showing up. He has money on oh, yeah. no, a million his... dollar fine. The Trump businesses might be disbanded in New York. That's not lame to Trump. No, but to voters, I think they think that's like they're just going after him, you know, for fraud. And of course, for his ego, this is everything. Like, this is his business. This is who he was. He only got into politics in the past 10 years, really. It's interesting to me, though, that Trump keeps showing up there, even when it's voluntary. He, he, he doesn't, yeah. he's not ignoring that trial. He knows his businesses could be really messed with by New York State. Interesting. Okay, Hunter Biden. Do we think he's as much of a drag on Democrats as I think he is? And do you think the Biden crime family thing is really sticking? I think it might be, but I don't know. And I also wonder how, even though it's obviously Biden is not in charge of his Justice Department, they wouldn't be investigating, Merrick Garland wouldn't be investigating um, Hunter Biden if that were the case, right? But, you know, there is, Trump just keeps saying it over and over again, this is Biden's Justice Department, they're investigating me. And I think it's a narrative that people can sort of like grab onto, wrap their head around because it happens in like third world countries, obviously, right? And I just don't know. Like, is it, is it going to make it hard for Biden to hit Trump? Is that is like that part of the reason why he hasn't really gone after Trump head on? It's like, how do you even address that? Has he ever even really addressed the idea that it's his Justice Department trying to hurt the Trump campaign? There's been no sign that Hunter Biden is either challenging President Biden's reelection campaign among Democrats and with Republicans. The effect has been it's been it's galvanized them to really create this impeachment process. There's so so much anger mm. about Trump being investigated for all of these different things, whether it's his finances or his handling of classified records or January 6th or interfering in Georgia's election. All of that Republicans really get angry about. And in turn, they've said what about President Biden? What about President Biden? So they've mm. shined a, a spotlight on Hunter Biden and his laptop and his business dealings. But the challenge for Republicans is you impeach President Biden. Okay, 
but are you making the case to the country that this is really something that was criminal and intent and nefarious? Because I haven't seen in any Republican message about impeachment, about how President Biden enriched himself or how President Biden was corrupt. There is a lot of scrutiny, rightfully, on any politician's family and their finances. As a reporter, right. I believe more disclosure and more sunlight is always best. Always. Whether it's President yeah. Biden or former President Trump and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and his dealings with Saudi-based companies. Yep. And I mean, everybody deserves scrutiny. That said, the Republicans, when I'm up on Capitol Hill, they're going into all these different areas of the Biden investigation and they, they, they confide this to me privately, sometimes publicly, that they don't feel like they've mm-hmm. explained their position on Biden in a way that's understandable and that convinces people in any real way. They've just kind of raised questions about Hunter's dealings and his brush-ups against his father that creates this kind of aura uh, around Biden in the eyes of Republicans. But that's all it is, though. It's not anything real. It's just an idea. It's a messaging. And also the fact that he has this very kind of like dubious lifestyle. He's made millions of dollars based on access in foreign countries. Like sometimes that's all people need to get a feeling about something without knowing the full story. Can they actually impeach? Do they even have smoking guns? I don't think so. And if Biden's impeached in the House, Senate sources are probably dead on arrival in the Senate. Okay, but- um, back to the idea that like Trump is going to keep saying, because this is going to be a courtroom campaign, as you said, um, he's going to keep saying that, you know, Biden, this is Biden's Justice Department coming after me. I'm standing in front of this courthouse because this is Biden trying to knock me off the campaign trail, right? This is his way of defeating me. I'm, I'm ahead of him in the polls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does Biden attack that head on? He hasn't yet. And is that, is that like a difficult thing for them? Well, he doesn't feel like he needs to address it. It hasn't risen to the level where he feels like he needs to go sit with 60 Minutes or CBS Sunday Morning or some other show. Or Bob and, Costa on Hey, hey look, I welcome an interview with the president time. <laughs> He's welcome to come on my show as well. <laughs> I, I, would, I would hope to see him have met more interviews. But um, Me too. The White House has been mostly dismissive because the Republicans, they in their view, were kind of nipping at Biden's heels and trying to make associations between various hunter dealings with Biden himself. I mean, they talk a lot about President Biden, his vice president, being on speakerphone, and Hunter would use the idea that he could talk to his father as a way to ingratiate with business partners. And It's probably true, though. Right, right. It's, it's true that Hunter would use his father as a way, he would you know, show people that he had a close relationship with his father. It's a he, given. He walk around Capitol Hill without knocking into a, a senator or a House member who has a son, a daughter, or a spouse who's in the business of politics or uh, lobbying or corporate consulting. No, that's that's the game. And um, I agree with you. I just don't think it is palatable to anyone outside of those circles, and especially not to people who want to who see. They're making, you know, Hunter making millions in dollars. But again, nothing nefarious. Did he get contracts because of his last name? Yeah, probably. You know, let's see what the investigation yields. Hunter's also under federal investigation uh, in, in different vicinities. So, you know, I, I'm of the, keep investigating as a reporter, keep, see what happens with these investigations, especially the federal ones. And, you know, if, if something breaks through, it'll break through. Okay. Giuliani, he owes $150 million to those 
poor uh, poll workers who are harassed in Georgia. Obviously, he's not going to pay $150 million, but clearly this is a man who has fallen from grace. He's out in front of the courtroom, though, standing by Trump. No apologies. Clearly, he's still he needs to stay in the fold to continue to have his legal fees paid for. Uh, what do you think about this ruling? Giuliani was involved with everything in the post-2020 election period, whether it was going to the Four Seasons in Philadelphia, landscaping business, or working yeah. with Sidney Powell. Very luxurious. Like, Giuliani has his fingerprints on everything, including these interactions with uh, election workers. And so mm. he's now paying a price legally and, and financially. Uh, he'll certainly appeal it and continue to insist he did nothing wrong. But there was probably no one closer to Trump. I mean, he was in the Oval. He was at the Willard Hotel on January 5th, 2021 right. with Steve Bannon. I mean, Giuliani was everywhere and part of almost everything. One last thing. Uh, what do you think the Biden campaign should be doing that they're not? Help him bring up those uh, favorability ratings, those poll numbers. I have no advice for the Biden campaign. <laughs> and I have no advice for the Trump campaign. I think the, the, the challenge with the Biden campaign, I think it's going to be motivation of the key stakeholders. For example, President Biden went to the picket line for the unions, UAW mm. workers, when they were striking. He went to Michigan. Trump went to a non-union facility for a speech, but Biden was on the line with UAW workers as they were striking against the automakers. He still hasn't won the UAW endorsement. Where mm. is labor going to be? Is labor really going to show up for Biden? And how does he, how does the president make sure labor shows up, make sure young people show up who are disappointed about right. loans? The Biden challenge is not so much Trump. He has a, an argument against Trump. I beat you before I can beat you again. But right. among Democrats, it's how do you get those people excited, even if they've not been, you know, if, they, if they've been disappointed a few times along the way. Yeah, he needs to keep the coalition together. We shall see. All right. Thank you. This was fascinating. Always an interesting conversation with you. Just even getting on the phone, chit-chatting about what we're seeing. And I will see you in Iowa and New Hampshire, maybe outside of a courthouse in Florida. I would prefer that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll see you on the trail and thanks for catching up. Thank you. That was another episode of Somebody's Gotta Win. I'm your host, Tara Palmieri. We'll be back next week. We've got a special schedule for the next two weeks, one episode per week while we're enjoying the holidays. And I hope you do too. I want to thank my producers, Christopher Sutton and Connor Nevins. If you like this podcast, please share it, subscribe and rate it. If you like my reporting, please sign up for my newsletter at puck.news slash Tara Palmieri. It's called the best and the brightest. And you can use a discount code Tara20. See you next week.